Today, we begin a series of episodes where we will discuss and examine what it means when the Bible talks about rest. There have been lots of attempts to describe rest, and today's guest, author Curtis Zachary, brings a unique perspective to this ancient discussion. Welcome to episode 65, Searching for Soul Rest, an interview with author Curtis Zachary. This is Greg Hall, and welcome to our new series where we will ask what the Bible means and maybe more importantly, what Jesus was talking about when he spoke about rest. If you're new to the podcast, I'll let you in on a little secret. We are getting crazily close to the launch of my first ever book, Rethinking Rest. January 19th is the big day, and I'm throwing a launch party at the Ikebox Coffee House in Salem, Oregon. So if you're listening in time, all the details are on the front page at rethinkingscripture.com. I'd love to see you there. You may have also noticed the new music that opened today's podcast. It's a song called Wedding Song, and it was written and performed by my oldest son, Jake Hall. So proud. He wrote it for one of his cousin's weddings, where he also performed it live. And that was a wedding that I got to officiate as well. So it's a special song in our family, and I've chosen to use it throughout the series on rest. Jake is a very talented musician. And he's also the creator of all the transition music I use between segments on the podcast. So thank you, Jake, for allowing me to use your music. To kick off the new series today, we welcome author Curtis Zachary to the podcast. CZ, as he likes to be called, wrote the book Soul Rest, Reclaim Your Life, Return to Sabbath. In it, he reveals how our misaligned view of rest has its roots in an identity that is out of rhythm with God. And he suggests that taking steps towards understanding Sabbath in the way that God intends can dramatically affect every aspect of our lives. And one of the reasons I really appreciate his work is that it calls us to the intentional work of self-examination. And he helps us move towards a purposeful and sustainable life with Jesus. CZ graduated from Liberty University, and he also studied for a time at Gateway Seminary in California. He enjoys reading, running, and he says exploring coffee and food spots around the country. And he loves spending time with his wife and two sons. In addition to this podcast... A video version of this interview is available on the Rethinking Scripture YouTube channel and on each of my websites, RethinkingScripture.com and RethinkingRest.com. And with that, let's listen in on the discussion we had just a few weeks ago. Well, I just wanted to thank Curtis Zachary for coming on the podcast today. 
Can you just tell podcast audience a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up maybe, and something that I always did as a youth pastor and also when I taught Bible uh, survey courses is I want to hear what your high school mascot was because that's important for all of us. Yeah, I am from the South River Rams. Uh, maroon and gray were our colors. And uh, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey uh, until I was 17, went to college in Virginia, uh, Liberty University. And then from there, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 2001. Uh, lived there for 10 years. Uh, it was there that I met my bride. And then we moved to California to be a part of a small church plant. Uh, we were out in the Bay Area for about four years and then moved back to Nashville seven and a half years ago. So that's the, the catch up. Well, wow, you've gone coast to coast then. And you landed back in the middle. Yeah, here we so, are. So you mentioned uh, church plant. Uh, that's what got you out to San Francisco or the West Coast. What have you done for work? I'm presuming maybe some pastoral work with that, but I don't know. And then can you tell us just a little bit about what currently fills your days? Yeah, so I've been in and around vocational ministry for about 25 years. For a lot of that time, I've served in the local church context. So uh, when I moved to the Bay, I was joining a friend who had planted a church. It was essentially a church revitalization there and went to help with whatever was needed, preaching and teaching, but, but more than anything, just trying to be a good neighbor, uh, trying to love people well and just serve however I could. It was during that season that really uh, reformed and reshaped a lot of my ideas around what it means to serve sustainably in ministry and uh, what has led to your second question, which is basically what I'm doing today. So I uh, still serve at a local church here in Franklin, Tennessee, but also uh, I wrote a book and have really stepped into attempting to steward a conversation around finding sustainable rest in our lives. And so a lot of my day-to-day -day conversations consist of leaning in with people who are dealing with burnout, disillusionment, feel spiritually depleted, uh, or in situations where they want to stave those things off. They want to find uh, ways to establish healthy rhythms. It's cool. It's a varied set of experiences and day-to-day -day looks different, but that's kind of the, the capsulization of it. Very good. Well, you mentioned your book, Soul Rest, is the name of that. And can you just tell us how that came about? I'm in the uh, I'm in the throes right now of waiting for my first book to come out, and I know that it has taken me. I'm I'm going to say I've been thinking about this for 15 years. So uh, while that may be an extended period of time for most authors, I'm guessing that yours just didn't pop on the page one day. It, there was a process to that. So can you tell us about what caused you to write? Yeah. So briefly alluded to it there. Uh, when we moved to the Bay Area, uh, we were seeking to serve however would be helpful in the local church context. And so much of what we were doing on a day-to-day -day basis, we knew was purposeful and meaningful work. And we were walking alongside homeless friends who were looking for places to live. We were helping friends transition from prison into civilian life. We were walking with people who were uh, re in recovery from addiction. So 
uh, our day to day was varied in its duties, but it was super meaningful and, and allowed us to really just attempt to be good neighbors and good friends to people while pointing to the hope of Jesus. The whole pursuit of what we were doing was very good work, but I started to sense in the midst of doing that work that there was a tiredness rising within me that I wasn't really able to touch with days away or vacation or uh, even regular practice rhythms. There was just something deeper within me that I couldn't really figure out. And what it really comes down to is essentially I was doing a lot of good work for God. I'm just not sure I was doing that work with God. I was trying to sustain this good work for God uh, in my own strength. And so, yeah, that basically began to start a process for myself and my, my bride to start to ask some difficult questions. Along that path, we experienced loss through miscarriage a couple of times, which accentuated some of the discomfort we were feeling. And then the third piece of it was uh, we felt really alone. A lot of time uh, would pass and I would find little windows where I would share what I was feeling or thinking. And in doing so, uh, the people around me would say something to the effect of, well, you're the guy that we normally would talk to when we're in trouble. So uh, we'll just give you some space, you know? And uh, it was very isolating, felt super lonely. So those three things converging together ultimately resulted in me knowing something needed to change. And alongside of that, it ended up becoming a year-long process where I was able to just consider my first love. Like, I, I just really felt like God was asking me a question very simply, uh, am I enough for you? You know, if I take away all the things that you get to do for me, do you love and worship me with the same passion? And I knew my answer was no. And that was terrifying. And so uh, that set me on a journey to try to figure out what this deep tiredness was, which I've discovered was a need for rest for my soul. And that's what birthed the journey, which led to uh, ultimately writing the book. Mm. So you and I have both worked on church staffs. That's, that's a privilege, number one. So let's just say that that's a privilege. <laughs> but it also comes with uh, some baggage. There are benefits along the way with that type of ministry. But do you see some dangers in the way that we currently do church in America that could be possibly a distraction from rest? I'm guessing yes, based on what you just said. Yeah, I think it requires a lot of intentionality for us when we enter into vocational ministry situations to be aware, number one, of the why behind the what. I think sometimes it's so easy for us to uh, be, lack of a better word, beholden to what is expected and it's culturally normative when it comes to working at a church or serving a church that we tend to forget to ask ourselves the question, to what end are we engaging yeah. with these ideas? And um, I think that that's one of the biggest ones that I would say is really helpful. An in individual can start with that conversation within themselves, but then also when a, a church staff or a church team is in a place where they can have those types of conversations, which help to bring health and clarity to the forefront such that you wouldn't have the tail wagging the dog, so to speak, when it comes to things that we're functionally doing in ministry. We're able to better identify uh, what we truly want to give our lives to. And I think in that way, we then discover how to live sustainably to serve those things. Yeah. 
I'll just tell you a little of my story. I was not thinking I was going to be a pastor at all. I'd spent 18 years in real estate sales, and I was a teacher before that. So it wasn't on my radar, and some circumstances in life uh, just brought it about that I felt called to youth ministry for a while. And I was passionate about it. I knew exactly when I took that job, that's exactly where I was supposed to be, right? And what often happens, and I don't know if this is part of what you're speaking to, but what often happens is I'm called to a ministry, so I take the position, and then somebody else is making decisions on what I end up doing on a daily basis after that. And so while I was doing high school ministry for a period of time, then junior high was added in, and then the college group was added in, and then there was a pastoral change, and I ended up doing stuff that I was like, I'm not sure this is what I was called to, and yet I've chosen to take this job, right? So mm-hmm. how do you find, uh, number one, did you experience anything like that, or the people that you brush shoulders with? Has that been part of the process? Yeah, I think the answer is both to your question. Personally, I think in my own journey, there have been times where I have had both clear and what I felt like were very open communicative conversations around what ministry and life together would look like inside of ministry situations that I've been a part of. And you realize over time that sometimes those uh, aspirational hopes in both directions, uh, not just the in, you as the individual who's participating, but even maybe your boss or your lead pastor or your elder board or whoever sees things change that are unexpected to them as well. And so that does bring a sense of confusion and sometimes disillusionment because it feels like uh, I, I thought we had an idea of what this was going to be and now things are changing. And so how or can I even adjust or adapt I think the thing that has been really interesting as I've walked alongside ministry teams and people who are seeking to have these kinds of conversations, whether I serve a ministry staff or uh, an elder board or a board of a nonprofit, uh, one of the things that I talk a lot about is the removal of the ambiguity of expectations. I think sometimes what happens is we have these thoughts about what the situation should look like through our own lenses. But sadly, a lot of times we don't have conversations about what those things should be. So maybe the lead pastor has a thought about you as a youth pastor and what he would hope for you to aspire toward or to be a self-starter in or to join in with that's already happening. And you're thinking, man, I want to spend more time with my pastor and I want to uh, receive these specific types of affirmation or encouragement. But rather than saying them to each other, we just kind of retreat to our own circles or maybe we talk to our wives or we talk to our friendships and no no one ever really knows what's happening. So then what becomes inevitable is one of two things, either the pastor coming to the employee and saying, "Uh, it doesn't seem like we're on the same page right now. We're just going to send you out and we're going to have you transition and, you know, blessings and, you know, it's all spiritual (laughs) language or... Uh, You know, the employee comes and says something to the effect of, well, you know, my my wife and I, we've been praying and just feels like God is calling us to something different right now. And no offense to you. And again, it's not to say that either of those statements are disingenuous. I just think that sometimes 
removing the ambiguity of the expectations and being clear about them can help to bring clarity, which will then ultimately bring rest inside of our situation. Yep, that's good. Churches needs change over time, and individuals needs change. And the more we can yeah. talk about that, the better. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, the subtitle of your Soul Rest book is Reclaim Your Life and Return to Sabbath. So you talk a little bit in the book about the practice of a seventh-day Sabbath and what that might look like. But overall, as I listen to your audiobook, by the way, very good job recording your audiobook. Oh, thank you. I'm in, I'm in the middle of that right now, and it's quite a process, so that's good. Yes. Uh, the overall flavor that I get from your book is so much deeper than a set of rules around what you might do one day a week. So how would you define, here, I'll just put you on the spot here. <laughs> how would you define Sabbath sure. for people? Yeah. And uh, because there's a lot of ambiguity and confusion around that, that word, how would you define that? And then would you say that soul rest is different from that concept? Yeah, so it takes a little bit of connective tissue, so allow me just a few minutes <laughs> to oh, yeah. just yeah. piece all those pieces together. So the first question, uh, Sabbath, I believe it's very clear just in the essence of the word, and especially where we find it when we first come across it in the Old Testament, is Shabbat, which means to cease or to stop. And this idea is birthed in the creation story that people know very familiar to most of us, where it says six days, God created some things. He spoke, they came into existence. And then it says in Genesis chapter two, verses two through three, that on the seventh day, God rested from the work that he had done. And in those two verses, three times, it mentioned specifically that God rested from the work that he had done. So I'm not a Bible scholar, I'm not a vocational theologian, but I am astute enough to know when something is repeated multiple times in the scriptures, we need to pay attention, <laughs> yeah. especially if it's repeated three times within two verses in the very first book of the Bible. So I'm like, yeah. okay, this is something I need to pay attention to. So what that begs me to ask is, well, why did God have to rest? at all. If I read it right, the power of God <laughs> to speak so that things would exist. So if yeah. God has that kind of power, why would he not just say on the seventh day, and everything that I've made will rest from here on out. But it says that three times in two verses, he rested. So it had me scouring the scriptures to kind of follow those context clues. And uh, basically, what I saw was in Exodus thirty-one seventeen, which was absolutely a game changer in my understanding of Sabbath. It says at the very beginning of this verse, probably what many of us would assume was the, the reason, you know, that God did this to show the human beings that they should do this. So right, it's right. something that He is trying to model or embody so that we would follow suit. So it says in Exodus 31, 17, at the beginning of the verse, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that for six days you should work and on the seventh day you should rest. And it says that God rested and was refreshed. Now, that's where I had to call a timeout, like, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, I get the sign. I get showing us 
But not only did God rest, but there was something that was so refreshing that it was even refreshing to God. Like what Mm -hmm. could refresh an omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient God? Like what could be refreshing? Well, it gives us the clue back in that repeated phrase in those two verses. It says that he rested from the work that he had done. So it was a work for six days that could only be done by the hand of God alone. And on the seventh day, he looks back and he celebrates everything that he made. He looks at it and he says, it is good. It is finished. It is enough. I am satisfied. He is refreshed by the work that can only be done by his hand alone. So then when we fast forward to Exodus 28, then we see in that verse eight, number four on the list of the 10 commandments. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you should labor, and the seventh day no one should do any work. We've begun to believe that the thing that makes the Sabbath holy is our inactivity. So he tells us not to work, and we look at that as a command to do so God will be pleased with us. But that's not the purpose of any of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are actually ten pathways to communion with God. So the Sabbath being no different, he's giving it to us as a gift. It's not a rule simply to be followed. He's saying, stop your work that you do with your hands to remember a work that can only be done by the hand of God alone. In that we find rest because for those other six days, we're the provider, we're the maker, we're the doer, we're the advancer. The seventh day we remember Even in the midst of all of that, God is the provider. God is the maker. God is the doer. So some might say, well, that's really cool. I like how you tied that all together. It's Old (laughs) Testament, man. It says in the Bible, Jesus came to fulfill the law. So if Jesus came to fulfill the law, I don't need to really worry about that. It's true. I mean, there's a graciousness that comes with knowing Jesus. So definitely not about abiding a rule or a law. But I will tell you this. The same God of the Sabbath in the Old Testament, fast forward, you find him bloody and beaten on the cross. Jesus is God. This is a key element to this whole idea. And Jesus, right before he dies, takes a deep breath. And he utters words that we all know so familiar. It is finished. Well, then it makes you ask the question, well, what is finished? Well, it's no different than the story we read in Genesis. It's a work that could only be done by the hand of God alone. And after this significant work comes rest. So that's the whole idea connected together and why Sabbath is important. But here's where the soul rest thing comes in. Along the path before he ends up on the cross, Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 drops a little nugget in there for us that I think is key to this understanding of why Sabbath And Sabbath thinking is important in the New Testament for us. Jesus says to a group of people who have been striving and straining in their own strength to follow all the rules and laws to be religious and to be pleasing before God. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The first key is we have to ask, what are they weary and heavy laden from? Well, they're weary and heavy laden from trying to work to earn God's favor, trying to work to prove their righteousness, trying to 
do everything they can to abide by all of the right ways. And the problem is they try and try and try and they keep failing and it's exhausting. And he says, come to me. If you're tired, I'll give you rest. Then the next thing he says is take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Now, a lot of times when we think of a yoke, we think of the two animals together and the two animals yep. walking alongside one another. And that's an important image to have because what it's actually alluding to draws even from that image. Because when he says, take my yoke, he's not talking about the yoke of the animal. He's talking about the rabbinical yoke, the teaching that he is offering to the people that he's speaking to. And he's making a distinction because you remember he said, you're tired. What are you tired from? Well, you're tired from the way that they've been teaching you that you find righteousness. Well, take my yoke, my teaching, and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So his teaching is not one that's burdensome and that puts it on your back to figure out righteousness. His teaching is one that is not only easier, it is easy because he ultimately is going to do the work that you've been trying to do yourself. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But before you get to that statement, this is the little nugget he drops in. Remember, he says, take my yoke and learn. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Now, this is what's so amazing about this. Back in Genesis, when we have the celebration of the Sabbath, we find rest. It's a beautiful gift to us. It absolutely matters for us in our honor to God and what we receive as a benefit and connection to him. But in the New Testament, the ultimate Sabbath for us is not just confined to a one day a week rest. It is a rest that comes to the unrest of our souls, which are distant and separate from God in our own strength and our own ability. Sin has separated us from the satisfaction that our soul longs for. It says in Ecclesiastes three eleven that God set eternity inside of us. So our souls are longing for the eternal through the work on the cross. Jesus brings this rest. And so now we live in the wake of that rest. And not only do we live celebrating that rest, we live and we work and we do from rest. So that's why in the book, it's funny because when people say, I want to read your book, and I want to learn about the Sabbath. I'm kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, like there's other books. Prepare to Abraham be disappointed. Heschel. That's right. I'll give you Abraham Heschel. I'll give you, all, you know, there's yeah. a lot of beautiful books, Marva Dawn, all these books that are great. But I think for me, the thing that became significant is what I like to call Sabbath thinking. I think Sabbath thinking needs to be interwoven into the life of the follower of Jesus that we would know that we remember him as the great worker. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And I've read a lot of books on Sabbath. I'm sure you have too in your process. There's a lot of people talking about what to do one day a week. And I think that what drew me to your book and your work is that you quickly get past that idea. And I think there's a false dichotomy out there. Like we're given two choices, either we observe the seventh-day Sabbath of the Ten Commandments, or we don't. And I think that's a false dichotomy, because when Jesus comes and claims to be the fulfillment of all of these ideas, I mean, in the Church of Nazareth, for instance, he stands up and quotes a verse out of the Old Testament that basically says, 
I'm fulfilling the year of Jubilee, which is the culmination of the entire Sabbath idea, right? So when he does that, the question really should be, what does it mean to fulfill? I mean, what does it mean when Christ fulfilled? Does, Does that just mean you set aside something? Well, that's not what we do with the other Ten Commandments. Uh, murder became more of a soul exactly. issue than just an outward yes. issue. Uh, adultery became more of a soul right. issue in the Ten Commandments. And so with that understanding, with that perspective, I think uh, I really think you went the right direction. <laughs> and um, mm. with Sabbath, it should really be not a setting aside but really the question should be, what is the fulfillment of the idea that the fourth commandment was trying to introduce? And how can we take that not just the one day a week, but really experience that every day of the week? Because I believe that's yeah. what Jesus is offering. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, it's funny when I set out to share these ideas, it wasn't even so much to prove a right path. It was just more of an yeah. expression of what I'd experienced. And I think what you're saying is so important to me because I think just across the board, the whole idea of fulfillment is deeply significant because I believe there's a difference between knowing and understanding. And I think sometimes we can know in our heads and have that knowledge be enough for us to swim around in and not really experience the depth of connection for what that can really mean for our lives. And like you said, Jesus Uh, Not only in the instance you referred to, but through the Sermon on the Mount, basically kept doing exactly what we're trying to do with this conversation. Move it beyond just a rule to be followed so that God would be pleased. He says, you've heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. Well, I say to you, if you even think about it. And so all of a sudden, it's moving it from a function or a withholding that happens in your physical body to now something that is deeply connective to who you are in your essence. And the problem with that kind of statement for the people he was talking to, who were the rule followers, the do-gooders, the one who were considered to be perfect outwardly, the Pharisees, would hear that and say, no, 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 wait a minute. What you're saying is that we can't even sin in our brains. And then Jesus goes, yes. And then you got the other people who actually are committing adultery, who are going, well, man, I messed up too. (laughs) And what he wants is for both groups of people to come to the resolve that they cannot do what he is asking them. That's why when he says in Matthew 5, 48, uh, you know what? Forget all this semantics. Just be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. And they're going, wait, what? So you got the people who are the rule breakers going, I can't be perfect at all. Then you got the rule followers over here going, Oh, I'm perfect, but you're saying be perfect like God? That doesn't make any sense. So both go, I can't do it. And Jesus wants us to go, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Now you're ready for the rest for your soul. Yeah. And that perfect word can also be understood as uh, maturing, right? So maturing. allow right. yourself to right. mature into this idea. Um, grow up into the idea. Um, leave your childhood behind, in other words. You hear that language quite a bit. Yeah. So let me ask the last question here, because I really appreciate what you did in your book and on your podcast about working from rest. This idea of rest isn't something we do one day a week where we stop 
but rest has to become something we do every day of the week and that it has to be involved in who we are and what we do for work. Why don't you expound a little bit about your thoughts on that? Yeah, one of the greatest descriptions of this comes briefly in Eugene Peterson's message version of the verse that we just referred to in Matthew 11. He says, are you tired, burned out, worn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I think that kind of summarizes very quickly what I think is just a a broader conversation. I think our identity, our worth, and our value for many of us have been determined by our output, what we do, how we function in the world, and even those things as they pertain to God. So, so much of who I am and how I live has a direct correlation with what I'm doing and giving and being into the world. And so what this whole idea of working from rest will do for us is getting back to Sabbath thinking and saying, well, the work is finished. And if it's truly finished at the cross, and my identity is not for me to determine through my work, but I'm to hold on to and grasp this identity that has been given to me like a jacket, says the righteousness of Christ was just cloaked over me. Well, if that's the case, then I live from that reality. So when I work, when I do, when I live, when I'm a husband, when I'm a father, this is exactly what defines who I am rather than me trying to fight for a new definition, which brings rest because now all of a sudden I'm not striving and straining to prove or to make or to do. I live from the security that I'm a son, that I am righteous, not because of my work, but because of his finished work. And that shapes the way that I live. And we live to seek to honor the reality of what Christ has done. Yeah. And the book that I've been working on, I kind of identify that, you know, God created the order in chapter one of Genesis. And what happened in the fall was that Adam and Eve tried to go back and reorder. And that's That's our human condition. We're we're trying to reorder something that's already done for us. Mm -hmm. When I I think about rest, and I, I feel like you've kind of alluded to this as well, when I think about rest, my question should be, how am I trying to reorder what God's already done? And where that will always lead me is to a place of restlessness. My soul will always be restless if I'm the one trying to reorder. So my rest is really found in the question of where is it I'm supposed to be right now? Where is it that God's calling me to be? Am I listening to that? And what is it that he would have me do with my time and my talents? And if I can find that place to be and that thing to do on a consistent basis, I mean, we all know that's when we're at rest even though we might be exhausted from our work, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that's really good. That's, I think, what Jesus was talking about when he said it's it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. Well, what's yeah, doing good? Right. It's right. being exactly where we're supposed yeah. to be, and it's doing exactly what God would have us do at any given moment. And we can do that mm. every single day of the week, right? So, that's it. That's it, man. Yeah. So I really appreciate your time with us today. I appreciate the work that you did on your book. Mm. I read books differently now. I don't know if you do this. I I totally totally. read books differently now because 
as I'm reading a page in my own work, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, I remember what was going on in my life when I wrote that. That's right. And that's right. Now, when I read like your work, I'm thinking, oh, something pretty serious was going on in his life that caused him to sit down and pen these words and get them mm. into a coherent sentence and and provide those to other people. So I appreciate all the work that you did and just the perspectives on Sabbath. Man, thanks so much. It's definitely a labor of love. And like you said, I think it's more than anything informed by my own experiences. And the real hope and aspiration is to invite people into permission to be asking the same kinds of questions uh, for themselves. Yeah, good. All right. Thanks again. And uh, we'll catch up with you a little bit later. Cheers. So thanks again to Curtis Zachary CZ for helping to begin our series on biblical rest. I'm very eager to get further into this often misunderstood topic. What exactly is the Bible talking about? when it discusses rest. Well, in the next episode, I will continue to unpack that topic of rest, and I'll tell a little of the origin story of my book and talk a little bit about the path to publishing. So, thanks again for listening. And if I haven't mentioned it before, I'd really appreciate it if you took some time to rate, review, or maybe recommend to one of your friends the Rethinking Scripture podcast. 